namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa bhutang dhammang sangkang anutrang upachayang namasami One of the residents was talking with me about speech, and um, the Buddha has as part of his the, the what he calls the Eightfold Path um, a recommendation to follow eight eight factors of body, speech, and mind that uh, lead towards understanding the Four Noble Truths. That that there is uh, suffering. There is a cause of suffering. And that cause of suffering is desire, and there is a possibility for the ending of suffering, and that ending of suffering is through the ending of desire, uh, unwholesome desire, and that there is there's a path leading to that, to the ending of suffering, and that's the eightfold path. And I remember I was uh, visiting my sister, and I happened to go to a a class of hers. She was teaching a class. She's a rabbi, and I think she had to leave, and so she left me with her class. <laughs> and so I, I don't know how uh, it came to be, but we were talking about speech, and they were a bit surprised that the Buddha would put such an important emphasis on speech, that that would actually be a spirit, spiritual quality that one would practice and and watch very closely, and that without it, then. It wasn't really possible to uh, advance on the on the path that the Buddha taught, and so it's quite interesting that the it's not on the sidelines. Uh, the Buddha saw that speech is something that could be not only injurious to other people but injurious to our own minds. That uh, we could suffer so much and be obstructed in in this path that there really wouldn't necessarily be peace, and there. Um, there might end up being a lot of remorse and regret in the mind. And so I can see that very clearly uh, before I became a monk, and I'd say even more clearly now after being a monk. The the sting of of saying things that are harmful in in some way or another, or unwholesome, uh, come back. And they can have very strong effects that can last days, weeks, months, even years something that was said that was quite regrettable can linger in the mind for a very long time. And one of the ways that monks often point to how important uh, speech is in in our practice is that in the monks' 227 rules, there's an enormous amount of them. I'm not sure the actual number, but quite a few of them are are around speech. And if they're not directly stated about speech, then they can still be broken with speech. So, for example, we might think of something, a, a very gross act, a bodily act of, of killing someone. Well, that's that's quite bad. Of course, that would cause a lot of problems in, for oneself and another person or other people if one were to do something that heinous. But the same can be done with speech. I could instruct someone to to kill someone else and if they went ahead and, and did that then 
according to the Buddhist teachings and to the way that we follow our rules, it would be equivalent of my having killed the other person. And I would be, I would no longer be a monk at that point when that was executed in the way that I suggest the other person. So speech, speech can have all kinds of ways. We can even think about how much more powerful it is for that example I just gave. One person could do some damage. Like in the Buddhist time, there was a, a man named Angulimala, and he was said to have killed 999 people. But with speech, one could, one could have a far greater influence than just 999 people. In fact, millions can be killed just by through the speech of one, one person. The influence of, of someone can be that vast. So the, the Buddha really uh, implored us to be careful with speech. And, and it, it would seem at first glance that, well, the easiest way to go about doing this is to just be silent, is to not say anything to anyone. It's true that that would alleviate a lot of suffering that could be caused if one was to actually say something that was unwholesome. But his instructions are really about right speech, how to speak in ways that are right, harmonious, or in tune. And so it's he could have easily had said, well, the way to deal with the practice is not to say anything to anyone ever. And there were there is one case where he is quoted as saying, either speak about the Dhamma, his teachings, the, the sort of the truth as the way things are, or hold noble silence. But you have to always understand there's probably a context to why he said that and when he said that. I would imagine he was probably talking to some fairly talkative, loquacious monks. But in regards to how he really suggested to people how to use speech, it was it's quite specific. And I thought since uh, I have this here, it'd be, it would be nice to, to actually hear what, what the Buddha had to say about what right speech actually is. And um, there's four points to it. And they're quite, I think, quite fascinating. One can talk about them for hours. And if doing it in the right way, that would be right speech. But uh, I'll illustrate just, we'll start with the first one, which is uh, with wrong speech. It says, and how are there four kinds of verbal conduct not in accordance with the Dhamma? Unrighteous conduct. The Dhamma are the, the teachings of the Buddha, but it also represents a sense of the, the truth of the way things are. So here, are the, uh, one of the four kinds of speech, the first one here, that is not in accordance with Dhamma, is here someone speaks falsehood. When summoned to a court or to a meeting or to his relative's presence or to his guild or to the royal family's presence and questioned as a witness thus, so good man, tell what you know. Then not knowing he says, I know, or knowing he says, I do not know. Not seeing he says, I see, or seeing he says, I do not see. In full awareness, he speaks falsehood for his own ends, or for another's ends, or for some trifling worldly end. In right speech, what is in accordance with the Dhamma, righteous conduct, here someone abandoning false speech becomes one who abstains from false speech. When summoned to a court or to a meeting or to his relative's presence or to his guild or to the royal family's presence and question as a witness thus, so good man tell what you know, not knowing he says, I do not know, or knowing he says, I know, not seeing he says, I do not see, or seeing he says, I see. 
He does not enforce uh, awareness, speak falsehood for his own ends or for another's ends or for some trifling worldly end. So the, the direct translation when we um, come to the people come to the monastery and they take the five precepts is not to not to lie. So that's um, directly in accord with that first part of the of what the Buddha calls wrong speech or um, or what is right speech is not lying. Um, there's a, there's three others that I'll read later, but I find that speaking truthfully is. Um, is actually not as simple as it first seems. It, it, it appears that when we're engaging with others, especially if we tend to speak a lot or, or in certain situations need to, to speak a fair amount, then the way that we're approaching speaking with someone um, without being examined can lead into, into false areas very easily. It's so easy to... People talk about white lies. We can talk about omitting something uh, which isn't exactly a lie because we're not we're not saying it but it is, it is in a way sometimes not for a particular intention we might be saying it might be covering up something that we don't want to be known and again that could be for self-protection or it could be for worldly protection or but it's not always the greatest benefit to do that when we move into actually lying so saying saying things that aren't true I think What's been interesting for me to watch as a monk is the subtlety around this, especially with what the, the Buddha measures as, as being true or not when we say the words, I know, or I, I see, or I don't know, uh, or I, I didn't see this, or I did see that. And so when I think about the views and opinions people talk about, I often put it in that particular category. So when we talk about, for example, like facts around the world or or what we know about our particular culture or what people are doing, which I, I can do very easily. Uh, it's, it's very, it, it, it comes back to me and think, well, what? actually, I just said that so easily that this is happening in Latvia or, or I, I understand this about my teacher or I, uh, I saw someone do this, so that must mean such and such about them. And in all those cases, I don't, I don't know. That's actually not, not really true. That's not the truth. And when, when I really look closely at my speech, I can see that there's so much that I don't really know that I'm kind of edging into the, into the known or, or believing that I know it or, or at least presenting it that way that it, it gets to be very tricky. How important the, the Buddha's really uh, pointing to this fact not to say something unless uh, you really know it to be true. When it comes down to it, there's very little that we actually absolutely know to be true but the assertion that we do comes out so easily and so often that there really isn't sometimes a check on ourselves well, wait a minute do I really know that am I, am I really sure like what I'm saying to my friend about what another friend did or said what their motive was or for example when we talk to ourselves how often is that the same the same thing are we really being honest with ourselves about what our own experiences are you know, right? Like something that just happened was one of the one of the people uh, who would who was either here at the talk or going to come to the talk didn't come to the talk, and I saw the car driving away, and so immediately the sense was, oh, they're not interested in what I have to say, and there's that self that comes up that kind of oh I should, oh, 
I wonder what, what did I say something wrong or what's going on with that? And, and then there's also, you know, the opposite of that. There's sort of this self blame. And then there's like thinking about the other person. And, but it, it, the first thought doesn't occur like, Oh, may, may wherever they're going, you know, may they be happy or may whatever they're doing, bring them happiness or maybe they had scheduled something. They couldn't, they couldn't actually attend the talk and they really wanted to. We don't know. We're not really sure what's going on, but so often we guess motives around why other people do things and, and the purpose for what they're doing that it gets us into quite a lot of trouble, even in our own minds without expressing uh, speech, this can happen. And so, although the Buddha, as far as I know, when he was, he's talking about speech is, is pretty much talking about external speech, uh, when we're talking to other people, it really is the same thing for ourselves. And what it, what it does when we are quite honest and truthful is that actually we reflect in the way that we speak to ourselves about everything, you know, whether it's about our, our own motives or our own perceptions when we are able to utilize right speech in such a way outwardly towards others that we're incredibly diligent around watching when, when it is that we're saying something that we really don't know or, or said that we saw something that we didn't exactly see, then that translates internally to us creating the same thoughts that don't cause problems for us in that same way. So I, as I was just illustrating, making up some story about why someone left early we really have no idea why, why people do things, but we guess all the time and we also convince ourselves that it's true. And so often there's, there's so, so much confusion in the mind because of our desire and our aversion around things that it's very easy to not even know what our own motives are for things. To think, oh, I did that because of this uh, or the reason that I was wanted to partake in, in uh, some activity was... Um, because I had this interest, but it, it could be it could be something else. And the more honest we are in how we speak with other people and check ourselves before we speak, is this really true? Is this really honest? Then then internally we can we can bring the same uh, mode of speech to ourselves whenever whenever we're thinking, and ask ourselves honestly whether what it is what we're saying is really true. And the result of of this honesty the result of being truthful is actually one of the most i would say it, it creates so much strength in character so much strength in one's ability to act in ways that that really brings a lot of buoyancy and, and happiness in the mind because we have so many opportunities not to not to speak in ways that are that are absolutely true and when we don't when we choose not to do that when we choose to either correct ourselves or not engage in speech where we don't know, then there's this real feeling of confidence that arises. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't have to do that. I saw that uh, I had a motive to say something that wasn't exactly true or that I didn't necessarily absolutely know that thing. And I refrained from that. And we can also ask ourselves, do we have to be the one who knows in a conversation? I, I often see I'm, I'm speaking with some of the other monks and one of them might might have a lot of information and he's talking about this and the interesting thing is to i can go into that and i can i can think oh wow, he's, he really knows a lot this monk knows a lot of things or he, you know he knows about this particular topic and so the the first thing might feel like well i 
I know something too, and then I might say something about it when actually I don't know that much about it. And it's interesting to reflect on when somebody else, there's someone like that, and you hear them speaking in a way that's often very confidently or about things that they seem to really know what's going on. One thing is sort of think, so what? You know, whether, whether someone knows something or not, it really is, is inconsequential to us. It doesn't have any uh, meaning. It doesn't really provide anything in the realm of Dhamma. In fact, just having knowledge about how worldly matters work is, is uh, it's sort of inconsequential when we think about death and dying in our, in our lives uh, and how much time we have. There's only so much you can really learn or know uh, about the world that make it sort of very trivial when compared to how much time we have to, to understand the truth of our lives, how, how uh, suffering is caused, how we get ourselves into trouble with our own greed or aversion for things. So with that in mind, I find it interesting that there, there is a, a sense of also like a question sometimes doesn't arise in the mind. Well, actually, is any of this stuff that we, that we speak about, is that, that really true? Sometimes it just doesn't matter. There's a feeling of, well, I want to be noticed too. I have to say something interesting or something that I know about or talk about somebody in an interesting way or, or have something clever to say. I just had a situation occur for me between another monk where I said, oh, can you do something differently in the way that he was particularly acting? And he said, well, uh, it's been happening this way all along. We've been doing it this way. So, you know, why, why should it be different? And I explained why. And then I thought a few minutes later, wow, if I was, after he walked away, if I was just clever enough, I would have I would have said, well, you're doing something quite different now, but why are you doing it now? Because it's always been done, you know, the same way uh, for so long. And I thought about that and I thought, wow, why, how does the mind kind of really comes up with ways to want to be clever, to want to retort and say things that are going to put one in a position of authority or put one in a position of, of being right. And again, all of these things don't really come back to being in accord with Dhamma, with the Buddhist teachings, because what they're pointing at is ways that, at least for myself, I'm causing myself to suffer, causing difficulty, pain, and and just more confusion, uh, more sort of uh, interest in in a worldly sense of of um, praise or being being correct. So, in these ways, you know, speech can get so convoluted that it can really cause so much difficulty when uh, usually the easiest thing to do is to go back to just being quiet and and, uh, and saying, oh, well, I don't, I don't really need to say this. But when we're compelled, when we actually do need to say something, then we're, we do so in a way that's, that's quite honest. So I, I think in, in one way around this, it's just a very good practice around speech is just to just to watch it as it bubbles up to the surface and to, to just put the question in, in front of our minds before speaking something. Oh, is this, is this necessary to actually say? You know, is it, is, it, is it actually truthful? Is it factual? And if it is factual, is it, is it going to be beneficial? Do I, need, do I need to say it? Because just because so, something is true doesn't mean we need to say it. You know, let's say, uh, you know, somebody has some 
disease and we don't have to actually say that we might know it they might have told us that we don't there's no reason to say that it's not beneficial it's not going to be helpful to them like for example in a group of people so you we look at that not only just the truthfulness of it but then what we say is how is it going to benefit the the people who we're living with or the people who we're talking to in a particular situation and then sometimes even if it is beneficial it's not timely it's not the right time to say it so, for example, if somebody's made some sort of error, you know, it's probably not the, the wisest thing to, to call them out on that in a, in a business meeting like we have here in the mornings in front of like 10 or 15, 20 people. It might be beneficial for them to know they made a mistake, but uh, it's not timely. So these are very interesting aspects that Buddha points to when he talks about speech. Some of the others here are, are interesting as well. And... While truth is, of course, um, sort of the most important thing, because the, I think the Buddha says at one point, for someone who speaks falsehood, there is nothing that they are incapable of doing. And he's saying that in a negative way. When you tell lies and you have no... It's not just someone who speaks falsehood, but has no problem with telling lies. It's just like, it doesn't matter either way. Then... People can't trust you and you can't trust yourself. There's just nothing you're really incapable of doing or saying if you have no censorship on your lying, um, if it really means nothing to you. So he puts that as a, an extremely high level of importance. But he also talks about harsh speech. So in terms of what is not in accordance with Dhamma, unrighteous conduct, he says, of a person who is not, not using verbal conduct correctly, he speaks maliciously. He is a repeater elsewhere of what is heard here for the purpose of causing division from these. Or he is a repeater to these of what is heard elsewhere for the purpose of causing division from those. And he is thus a divider of the united, a creator of divisions, who enjoys discord, rejoices in discord, delights in discord. He's a speaker of words that create discord. And the opposite, what's right speech, so when one does so, uh, correctly, abandoning malicious speech, he becomes one who abstains from malicious speech as one who is neither a repeater elsewhere of what is heard here for the purpose of causing division from these, nor a repeater to these of what is heard elsewhere for the purpose of causing division from those, who is thus a reuniter of the divided, a promoter of friendships, enjoying concord, rejoicing in concord, delighting in concord. He becomes a speaker of words that promote concord. The juxtaposition of those two is, um, yeah, just thinking of those two types of people, it's quite striking to compare someone who is bent on dividing others and those who, are, who really enjoy um, others being in concord. And it, again, it seems like such a, a gross uh, example when he's talking about divisiveness, but my own sense of that is that any time that I'm speaking about another person who isn't present, the tone of how I'm speaking about them, what I'm actually saying about that person can really illustrate whether I'm, I'm actually dividing or, or trying to bring in concord or something. So if somebody asks me where someone else is, well, factually, I might say, well, they're, out, they're over in their kuti. You know, and I might be, I might be uh, saying something that's, that's true, but it might not be the time for that person to be in their kuti. Or I might think that they're in their kuti or have seen them there. Uh, and I don't know why, but I might then be saying, oh, they're in their kuti again, you know. 
whatever it is, however I'm saying it, really can communicate whether I'm actually trying to bring a sense of someone else, how that person is, in a negative light to whoever I'm speaking about. And so I find this is, this is really just as helpful in practice as, as uh, looking at, at how truthful we are, because really I see that any time we say anything about another person who's not present, it's so easy to, to taint that with a particular view. And especially if we don't really know, we often fill in the gaps about something somebody said and what they really meant. So this is another area where just any time that we're speaking about somebody else who's not there, and it's, it's so common for human beings to, to speak about others. It's like, you know, what do you do when you're bored? You just talk about other people who aren't there. And of course, this can be done with people who are present as well. But most people don't do that. They don't really talk about others in the same way. And so that's, that's a very interesting examination is just to ask oneself, well, if the person was here in the room, would I be willing to say to, to them what I'm saying to this other person about them? And if the answer is no, then sometimes it's not the case that that's wrong. Like if we actually feel afraid for our lives and we have to talk to somebody else about someone who's, who's, uh, we're very afraid of, uh, or we, or we can't figure out a way to, to speak with them when, when we have, but, but even still we could say to ourselves, well, I, I'd probably be willing to tell that person, say that to his face or her face. So, so that's another way of really trying to examine what I, would I actually say this to this other person? Well, why not? What's my motive for, for speaking to someone else about someone who's not there? And so I, I find that in, in examining my own mind, I can really kind of just have a sense of that divisiveness. Am I, am I trying to speak about someone to cause concord? And if it's negative, it's usually not. Or am I trying to speak about someone that is sort of divisive in the way that it's, it's bringing me into a closer connection with the person who I'm speaking to by saying, right, right, we both feel about this other guy who's not here in the same way, right? But it's just, it's just very, it can cause a lot of, uh, a lot of pain because no one really would, can trust us when we do that. Because if you're speaking to somebody else like that, they probably have a sense that you might be speaking to uh, another person about them in the same way. So then there's, there's a lot of trust that can be lost. And I've seen that in myself that when I've spoken about others in negative ways, then that, that really comes up in my meditation practice or there's just a lot of regret and remorse. Oh, I wish I hadn't said that. And why did I say that? And then we have the, the sort of the perfect mix of comma rises when the person actually was in the room and you didn't know it, or they were just around the corner and uh, you find out you said something that they actually heard. And the thing is, is if we get away with it and, and nobody ever finds out, there's always someone who, who does know, not just the other person you spoke to, but, but you always know it. And it's usually something that, that's very painful for us. But when we speak in concord, that's the same way of speaking truthfully. Because when we're speaking to, to bring up concord with people, then people, again, similarly to uh, truth, really see a, another person as, uh, as a refuge for them. If you think about someone who's always honest with you, who you've never heard lie, there's so much trust that, that we can have with people like that, that we're, we're just, there's a sense of freedom around the, uh, those people, a sense that 
that really there's there's not any kind of dishonesty or or fear that we have to have. So it brings up a lot of uh, we we essentially for others allow fear to decrease. And similarly with Concord, when we see that that others are uh, aimed at Concord, then we feel quite comfortable around them because the last thing they want to do is cause a division for us. And with these things, especially with malicious speech, it's just it's just so often uh, about an insecurity that someone's expressing and it's so easy to see. So when when one person talks about another person in a, a derisive and a divisive way, then we can see how they, they just they don't have any confidence in themselves. They don't have any uh, trust in, in who they are or, or what it is they're doing or their own motives. In Concord, uh, as I was reading those words, it's just so much more beautiful to hear about Concord, to hear about when others express themselves in ways that brings up uh, concord between others. Or, for example, if the higher road around this is if when we hear other people talk about others, it's very easy to kind of criticize them and say, oh, you know, you really shouldn't, you really shouldn't say that about Matthew. He's, he's a nice guy. But the other thing is to actually just try to say, well, what, what, what's this really coming from? Where are they coming from? Why are they saying this kind of thing? You know, was there an argument that brought this up? Do they feel unsafe? Is there something other other motive that we can help that person try to understand in themselves that therefore really uh, shows that it's really not about uh, creating division but uh, some other problem they're not seeing? The third one is so obvious that I think most of us are very aware of it. It's about harsh speech, about like swearing at people or or speaking in an angry way, like rough, hard, hurtful, and. I often see those are so obvious that they just come right back to us almost immediately when we're when we're causing harm to to others through our speech. But this is the the nice part about that when the Buddha talks about right speech, he says that when one abandons harsh speech, he becomes one who abstains from harsh speech. He becomes a speecher of such words that are innocent. That's an interesting word to have in there. Pleasing to the ear and lovable, go to the heart, are civil desired of many, and dear to many. And it's so interesting to, to hear the mind sort of close around harsh, you know, when we think about harsh speech, we think about others, the kind of people and the rhetoric that can be talked about and sort of what's espoused in, in media these days. But then you speak about these, these other words, innocent, pleasing to the ear and lovable, go to the heart, are civil, desired of many, and dear to many. So that's where I really have a sense when the Buddha's take, talking about right speech, he's really encouraging. There's a way to go about speaking. It's not just through silence that we, that we end conflict with ourselves and other people. We are called to speak as human beings. In fact, other people ask us to speak, want us to speak in certain times, and uh, we need to communicate. And when we do in those ways, then those are ways that, again, bring so much trust and help to other people. And the, the last one is sort of probably the hardest one, I think, for most people. In one way, it's expressed as gossip, but in another way, it's expressed as just unnecessary speech. And so that, when you really get down to unnecessary speech, it's quite difficult. So as the, the Buddha defines that gossip or unnecessary speech as that which is unseasonable, is not a fact, which is not good, not the Dhamma, not the discipline, and he speaks out of season speech not worth recording. 
which is unreasoned, indefinite, unconnected with the good. And oppositely, he says that abandoning gossip, he becomes one who abstains from gossip, tells which is seasonable, factual, good, the Dhamma, that which is the discipline, he speaks in seasoned speech worth recording, reasoned, definite, and connected with the good. So when I when I hear these things, the, the positive end of right speech, it, it, it really encourages me to, to practice in, uh, in those ways that I find are are so helpful to the mind. And the other ways, they're just, they just so much immediately bring up remorse. And in my own practice, I've just seen so much more around speech that causes problems, especially, you know, just around, around dealing with other people and how really important it is to watch. And it's not a small practice. It's quite a, a one person, one of the monks was talking about in a way that if one just only focused on right speech is the path factor in in their whole life as just following right speech to that extent it would be quite a, a life well well lived um, it's something that that isn't a trifling matter and that that you know in a lot of ways whenever whatever ways we're practicing the buddha's teachings they're always leading us in a good direction so it's it's important to follow the entire eightfold path but each path factor actually uh, is giving us so much benefit when we follow it that we can't really undermine it that's saying, well, it's not really that important if you're just following one. Anyway, in terms of speech, I thought if, if anyone had any questions or anything they wanted to talk about with that, I've talked long enough. Yeah. Which sutta? Is there one sutta that... Um, There's actually many many suttas where he talks about speech. This is a the right and wrong speech. This was actually made by Tankovalo, who was a monk at Abhaygiri. Was a monk at Abhaygiri. He's living in Thailand now, and he he had ordained there though. And he kind of also wrote some of these words were more his sense of the words, uh, not necessarily the same translation. But you can find this all over this particular sutta about. It's in. I think almost every Nikaya. It's like like um, the Samyutta Nikaya, the, the Majima Nikaya, all those big books. Yeah, no, no, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So I would just look under, like, how would I? Um, Samawacha, so just write speech. Write speech. Just speech, it's under there. There's a, a website called Access to Insight, oh. and there's a place in that where they list, where it's listed everything the Buddha basically said about speech in one section. And it's quite amazing uh, the things that he's actually said uh, that are that go beyond this. Like just like how you how how when you do speak about people how you would do that. So when when you speak about other people how you would do that. One of them is you don't reveal their their bad qualities, and it's only until someone like prods you and pokes you and gets you that you reveal just maybe a little thing about them that's negative. But for the most part, you're just saying the positive qualities and the good things about them. Again, that goes with that concord. So he talks about that. And, and, he, and then he talks about how for yourself, you actually reveal things that are negative about yourself in more of a way that's more forthcoming than you would about your positive qualities. And that might seem like, oh, it's kind of negative about yourself. But no, it's that, it's that the sense is we want to say only good things about ourselves and, and usually hide the things about us that are that are that are not good and so the Buddha's pointing at that more that that sense that a person who's really 
using speech well about themselves and others as you're you're coming from it that and you're not afraid to actually speak honestly to other people about your your problems or your issues and in a, in fact you know if, if we're really understanding not self then that's kind of plain in terms of uh, you don't need to hide anything there's no problem with with kind of admitting when you you have something that you've been working on or, or it doesn't work for you and he goes through many different yeah many different ways about uh, speech and how others speak there's even one sutta that's very rare it's only comes comes up once and it's I can't remember the actual outcome of it but there's a, a saying in the Thai tradition that says you should speak sorry you should focus on your practice 95% of the, of the time what your attention should be on is your own practice and oh this isn't exactly the speech but how you think about someone else and it says 5% of the time uh, this is a Thai expression you, you can focus on others and so you think about that, you're like, okay, obviously this is an injunction that we should really focus on our own practice. We shouldn't be pointing to other people or policing the world or telling other people really what to do or how to do it. But then actually there's that 5%. And that's interesting too. Like, well, what does the Buddha actually say about that 5%? And, and he does say, yeah, from, you know, for the most part, you don't focus on, on other people. But from time to time, you should actually bring up what other people are doing in negative ways. And what? Why would the Buddha say that? That's such a strange thing to say. And then he says how to do it. I can't remember exactly what it was. But he's saying it, though, I think essentially to point to how, how you can improve with your own behavior and how you're, how you're doing things. Rather, it's not at all about going and telling someone. But then there are injunctions around how to speak to people about difficult issues, things that, that sort of they've agreed to, but they're not living up to, and how you go about doing that. And that's um, pretty high level. He, he has a really high level for when you actually go to someone and you speak to them. He doesn't say you can't do it or you shouldn't do it, but it's, it's like, wow, like uh, have you established in yourself a mind of goodwill? And when you're, when you're wanting to tell somebody else about something they're doing wrong or, what, or you don't like what they're doing or, or that they're compromised, uh, compromising in some way, you, it's not usually goodwill that's coming up. It's like, no, you, should, you shouldn't, you know, that should comes up. And so the Buddha is really saying like, well, you have to try to establish that sense of goodwill. You have to actually say it out of benefit for them. If you're not, because also how often it is that we want to point a problem out to somebody else, what they're doing, is it really for their benefit? It's usually for our benefit. So we don't have to be bothered by the thing that, that they're doing that's annoying us. So some of these are really like, they just point right, oh, I, I don't really need to say this to that person. So they come back to that 95% rule again. If you're a parent, obviously that's going to be very different. Yeah, you know you have to you have to speak to your child, and if one's a like an abbot of a monastery, that that comes up even more. But there's ways that it, that it's done skillfully, and and other ways that uh, it's not. And then you could say, well, somebody who's like an arahant, which would be pretty rare, they do focus on their own experience, but it's okay for them to point out <laughs> point out things to other people because they've they've finished. I've always found it very inspiring that list i had it printed out on some paper and then i i don't remember what i did with it i think i put it into like a ebook form or something like that but it's really inspiring to to read about what the buddha says because it makes so much sense it's like oh wow if you were to search i would suggest that's the easiest way to do it because that does the homework for you you have all the lines there and then to look at the translations that aren't john jeff's translations are also helpful so 
because he would cite where each one of them comes from. And then you can look at Bhikkhu Bodhi or other translations. And there are, you know, there are various uh, Dhamma books around right speech. Uh, these are just some some words of reflection. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.